even I don't want to listen to this podcast tomorrow to edit it. So we got to find something. Else. No, that. So I'm going to make it easy. Vaguely if you stop talking talk about. about stuff, then you don't have to listen to us talk about stuff. That, that is quite the argument you're making, Bob. Like, ah, there's going to be a slog to go through. Let's keep talking. You <laughs> have more to go. This sucks. Keep going. A podcast that will never ask you, the faithful listener, to become personally invested in the life and career of one of our delightful hosts, only to then fail to make a market competitive contract offer to that host and have them sign an exclusive contract with some other disreputable podcasting outfit like the Biffler or the Los Angeles Dodgers, say. And then bring in some younger, less expensive talent to offer perfectly fine replacement level takes and demand that you love them just the same. Keep paying the same exorbitant fees to watch the games. Demand that you just accept that the baseball you fell in love with is even better now. That the universal designated hitter is progress. That it's actually more fun when you play 162 games and half the goddamn league makes the playoffs anyway. And the playoffs are just a series of coin flips that rarely, if ever, puts the two best teams up against each other. And now baseball wants a perfect balance of meritocracy and meritless failure. A game of impossible skills suffused with the crushing, chaotic reality of existence existence but we were talking about podcasts i think my name is bob sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host that's abe how you doing tonight abe doing well bob yeah here we are Lori's here too how you doing Lori? fine Lori's fine tonight is monday march 14th 2022 the day after daylight savings time is implemented, Pi Day, according oh, to the it nerds, is day. tomorrow being the Ides of March. Lots of bangers here in March. Yeah, I'm still, I've still got my Mario Day hangover. I'm still nursing that. <laughs> no, that's daylight savings time that you're feeling. Oh, it must be daylight savings time. That, that is I'm true. Feeling. Mario was the 10th, the daylight savings, Pi, Ides of March, and then there's that Irish thing. Later yeah. this week, yeah, a lot of Thursday. stuff. We don't have to get back into the daylight savings time thing. We last year, I think, oh, that's the, right, the definitive <laughs> episode right. in all of podcasting land on so daylight pro- savings time. We did not win the podcast Emmy for that. I don't think there's such a thing, but that segment should have won it. Yeah, it's the fucking worst. It's no good. You know what's worse but than that, though? Nothing. That? Absolutely nothing. Don't say war. Don't say genocide. <laughs> Nothing is worse. You're right. When I watched on the news all weekend long, just an endless parade of death and misery on my television screen. They also have to deal with this. Did the Ukrainians also have? I think that's they not, do. That's not right. I think that if you right, are experiencing well. a lawless invasion by your much stronger neighbor, that uh, they should cancel daylight savings time just <laughs> in the interest of national unity. I think it would cause more confusion if you canceled it. People are just so used to it. They can, and you know, most of your clocks are now automatic. You know, I'm still baffled by this one uh, bedside alarm clock that I've had for quite some time. So weird that somehow magically built into the like it's a it was like a twenty five dollar Sony bedside alarm clock, and it is still keeping up with it changes like it changes on its own. 
There's no button. Wait, is it connected to, to anything other than the outlet? It's, it's not, not connected, connected to, to anything but the outlet. There's some huh. these these wizards at Sony 15 years ago had installed some sort of a chip where they knew when all of the daylight savings time stuff was going to happen. It's very weird. It has survived. It's not like Bluetooth connected. It's, it's not connected to anything, and every year there's no button on the back because most clocks, it's yeah. like you switch it, and it's a very yeah, simple a bu- thing. This yeah. isn't that. We wake up the day of the day. Yeah, that Sunday just, morning. It's just what it is. Now, have either of you been awake to witness the change at any point? No, have but that's a good up, idea. We should do that. You, maybe no, one no. of the cats or the dog. No, we cannot. We cannot. Watch it. It will never happen if you no, watch it. No, that's not it's true. Like we should Santa do that. Santa Claus coming down the chimney. <laughs> I was just saying, you haven't ruled out it could be some uh, other person hey, if you're or trying entity. to blow my cover, what I do is I get up <laughs> at 1.59 every single year and every six, seven months and change it. And Lori is none uh, the wiser. It's a nice ruse. That's not true. This clock does it by itself. It's amazing. <laughs> but that's pretty impressive that uh, it's just baked in. Because yeah. it's not all the same weekend in March and November. It changes every it's now not, and then. It's very weird. Anyway, yeah. you can tell that we have a lot of important things to talk about tonight <laughs> based on how this has gone so far. Let's start with baseball. I'm, I'm cranky because of sports, and it's March, so the only explanation must be baseball. Do you guys remember the uh, that You Don't Know Jack game yeah. that anytime I would stop over and uh, we would play, and I would lose but it was structured in this goofy way where the first like two rounds like you go through all these questions and answers but the point system was like so heavily lopsided towards the final round so i think baseball is trending in that direction yeah where it's like you play 162 games teams put in all this effort to be first or win this and that and then it doesn't mean anything because a middling team can get hot at the last minute in the final round the playoffs and win the whole thing Right. So this is the this has got to be the main. So the baseball they were allegedly locked out for ninety nine right. days. Well, was they the, were locked out. They were <laughs> locked out. But like to to even me, somebody who closely follows and cares about baseball, like it was the most meaningless lockout right. in the history of the sport. Could it move the what opening day by a couple of days? Like what, what's the final? Count. Yeah, it's like, not much. It's like a, yeah. at, mo- at it looked like at first we were going to miss a whole two weeks, and now it's not even going to be that. So right, they're still going to have the whole 162 game season. Nothing has really changed. The biggest change to the rules from a whole league perspective is that we've gone from a 10 team playoff, which was in my opinion already too big, to right. now a 12 team playoff, and the owners apparently were pushing for a 14 team playoff, which means that. For the next five years, which is the length of this collective bargaining agreement, we will have a 12-team playoff. But then almost certainly, starting in the 2027 season, we will be moving into a 14-team playoff in the next collective bargaining agreement. And that's fine for sports that have, like, smaller regular seasons. It's like, even like basketball, if you have a long enough playoff series over the course of seven games the better team is more likely to win. The more playoff series you have in baseball where they have these goofy three- or five-game series, literally anything can happen. I mean, it, right. even in a seven-game series in baseball, it's not exactly enough to give you a clear picture of who the best team is. It was always sort of a coin flip, and it's just 
I don't know. I, when I hear the phrase, it diminishes the importance of the regular season, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit. Because part of the fun of baseball is the diminishment of the importance of the regular <laughs> season, right? That you can just sort of turn on the game and you don't have to worry too much. And it's a whole different sport. It's a completely different experience from regular season baseball to playoff baseball. There's, I don't think that there's any other sport where there's that big of a difference just in terms of the intensity of the feeling from a regular season game to a playoff game. And that, that goes for now, it goes for when I was a kid, and, and it will go for 100 years from now. So maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it's right. just a weird thing that we're romanticizing that – because back in the 50s or whatever, when only well, two... Well, I mean, a bigger playoff, maybe it's just like the first couple rounds will be not um, fun, and then you just get fun later. Well, well, sure. Fun and exciting playoff baseball is always fun and exciting playoff baseball. The point is is that the more crappier teams you let into the tournament, the bigger chance you have for the best teams to get kicked out. And what you want, like in March, for example, now here we are in March, this stupid basketball tournament is going to be starting at the end of this week. Yeah. And what you want in that first round, the the round of 64, is that's where you want the 15 seed to beat Duke. You want right? chaos. That's, right, that's Or the fun. 16 seed Georgia State beating like the one, uh, it's not likely to happen. But yeah, you want chaos in in March Madness, because it's like, who cares about the regular season? Because it's right. hilarious. But in the final four, you don't want two 13 seeds in the final right. four, right? You want right. good programs. You want to see good basketball. And that means uh, the blue chip programs advance. Well, let me ask you something. Was was it the case in the, in the long, long time ago, like 30, 40 years ago, was it that the division winners just played in the ALCS or NLCS and then the World Series? Like right, there so wasn't... before... Back in like the fifties, you just you tried to win a pennant by winning the most games during the regular season, and then you right. went and you played in the World Series, and that was the Pac-12. Works? That was the playoffs. There wasn't an LCS. It just what win the pennant. Yeah, the LCS was created in 1969. So since since the seventies, we've had a league championship series. But before then, it was just that the pennant winner was whoever won the most games in the regular season, then got to go to the World Series. Wow. And you'll never see it happen, but I would love to see the two leagues basically separate again, stop doing this interleague nonsense, and just you have two leagues where you don't even worry about divisions so much. You just play everybody in your own league a whole bunch of times. The top two teams go to the championship series, and then out of the championship series, you go to the World Series. And you're going to get the best teams in baseball in the World Series more often than not when you have that model. Right. But the playoffs are just way too lucrative because, for one thing, they don't play, pay the players as much as they have to pay the players during the regular season because the it's basically just bonus money at that point for the players. Is it so, bonus based on their regular season salary or is it just like a flat bonus that every player makes equally based on the games? So the players get a share of the postseason ticket sales, basically. They get a percentage of the money earned from ticket sales during the playoff games. I but, see. But it's it's not like the owners are having to fork over a prorated amount of the player's salary. Right. And, now, and even and even if they were, they're getting so much more money for the TV rights for the playoff games anyway that it doesn't matter. Would it disrupt the system? Because I was thinking, you know, uh, what you're saying is like, oh, let's make uh, baseball great again kind of thing. Let's go back to the way yeah. it was. But, like, I assume the reason why they have all these additional teams be in is so they can make more money and then the different – team fan bases 
are not tuning out baseball like in August because like, okay, we're out of it. Do you think that there's a way to where you can kind of bring both the current system where they make money and the old system where you're protecting the best teams from just the variances of like a weekend? You know, you, you play 162 games and then like over the stretch of five games, you can lose to anybody, right? Right. And so there should be some sort of protection against that sort of just randomness that could right. happen. And if the Dodgers and the Yankees are willing to put up a quarter billion dollars in salary in order to build the best team that is going to win the most games over the course of 162 games, and then they have to play some right. bums in a three or five round series who got hot at the right time. Like, I don't know. I mean, do you I, think, I, do you, it, sh it shouldn't be the case that there's a disparity in player salaries of $200 million between clubs, obviously, either. But. Right. But what are you going to do about that? Do you think that it would be too unfair or un maybe logistically it wouldn't work to bring back an element of the old way, which is the two best teams in either, you know, so or the, the top team in the AL and the top team in the NL are parachuted into the LCS, right? And then you have the playoffs that decides who the second participant of the LCS is. Yeah, except the, that then you've got the best teams in baseball sitting around for three weeks around, while yeah, the rest right, of the league right. figures out who's going to play them. That doesn't Forbid really work them either. them from practicing. And also, it's the it's the case that even now, they're, they're going to have buys for the top two teams in each league where they don't have to play in that very first round. And even that's going to give them, like, and, and yeah, for some teams, it will be a welcome week off where they need to rest players or whatever. But for other teams who've been who got super hot at the end of the year in right. order to claim that top spot, it won't be, be some good. rust, right? But right. do you think because it's it's gonna like you like you suggested like it's trending in, in the other way? Like in five years, whenever they do this again, they're gonna push for more teams to be in, right? It's not yeah. gonna be it'll just be rust. random and stupid, and that's fine. It, it, it the Braves playoff or the the Braves World Series victory last year was of a piece with the random sort of bad team getting hot and actually right. being able to like get lucky and do the thing, which is what the Braves did last year. So I can't complain about it too much. It's just more in the direction of the playoffs are random and, and all about luck than it is in the direction of rewarding the best team. And that's just, that's, what's a bummer about it. And also there is this el uh, element where there's almost like two different audiences for regular season and, the playoffs, at least it is for me. I mean, with college basketball, it's more pronounced where I almost don't watch any regular season college basketball right. unless somebody's like beating somebody up in the uh, handshake line or whatever. But like otherwise, I'll just watch the playoffs that starts in March, right? And I'll keep up with it. Yeah, until it's also it because ends, those games it. actually matter. The right. whole college basketball season is full of games that don't matter. That don't matter, right. So I, I, I suspect that there are there's a similar audience that's like they'll go to a game or two of their baseball team, you know, to hang out with friends and watch the game, but they don't really pay attention to every game. Right. And then when the playoffs start, then they'll start paying attention. So it's like this current format, it does make it somewhat unfair for the best teams, but I imagine the audience will grow a bit because you'll have more teams in the playoffs and more interest will be there when the playoffs begin. I guess. I think baseball sort of has the audience that baseball has, and the idea that tweaking the playoff formula is going to meaningfully impact the like baseball's place in the culture is is pretty silly. Baseball was built for another time. It is it is not seriously. Ever they should going just change be, the game if they want to change. It's something. not going to be dominant 
a dominant part of the culture moving forward. It will be a neat a niche interest, largely. Sure, it's a top three sport, but right, it's like the Great Britain like, of powers, you know. Right. Aside from the playoffs, they've also now made there's a universal DH now, so the National League will have a yeah, designated that's hitter. Fucking stupid. So the pitcher doesn't have to hit. Is there a goofy component to the? all-star game determining something did they make any tweak on I that they, i don't think that's changed so it, that okay. still doesn't matter they, okay. a few years ago when they said uh this time it counts and they were like oh it turns out that was a bad idea yeah because don't tie exhibition games to anything of significance i don't know who needs to know that but don't do that right in a couple of years after this season there's going to be a pitch clock to try to get people that's to cool pitch faster and then they're can you, also can banning... you run the other way can you steal first base no there's a lot of evolution for this game that they're, they're just not paying attention to they're banning defensive shifts such that you cannot put three infielders on one side of the infield so a shortstop for example can't come all the way around to the other side of second base leaving only the third baseman on that one side in, in Even, the hopes that i, I mean I, I i see why they're doing it but i mean in theory, they're leaving themselves exposed. I mean, there's a cost to that choice, right? But they're, they looked at the numbers and they're like, this guy hits always this way, but he could hit it yeah, the I other way. I don't, care for, like, I, I don't care for banning any defensive alignment on the baseball field beyond saying, like, in my opinion, if you don't want to have a catcher back there and you'd rather have somebody yeah. <laughs> out in the field, that, that would be fine too. Now, you're not going to get. Yeah, that's like an open goal. <laughs> Right, you're allowed to just peg it at the umpire. What, back a, what there. is the word? The goalie <laughs> open goal, empty net, empty net. It's yeah. like that. That'd be cool. See, we are thinking of all kinds of ways yeah, to I improve just, I baseball. Like, They're just not doing it. I don't like the idea that you cannot, you can't, that, that you're not allowing <laughs> clubs to make interesting things happen in defensively out there but i know you just kind of threw that out there but how would that even work <laughs> the, uh, it the, wouldn't the pitch, <laughs> obviously it, it might. wouldn't work it might work especially destroying. if you can fucking steal first base no that, stealing first base is still a terrible plan but they do it on the third hit of the third strike <laughs> or the third out so they they got rid of some of the other nonsense, right? So, like, the seven innings and right. a so double the, the, header. The best thing about the recent change is that there won't be any stupid seven-inning baseball games as though we were some sort of Mickey Mouse minor league operation here at Major League or, Baseball. What was they're, that? they're not advancing a player to second base either? And, is that also? yes, in extra innings, they will no longer put a, a yeah, pretend runner too. on second base <laughs> to try to make the game end sooner. That's which is dumb, too. The dumbest Abe's thing that they'd ever come up with. is the best idea. Everybody else has good ideas, too. The thing that really has me cranky, though, today is that the Braves traded a slew of young players and potential prospects to the Oakland A's to return to themselves a first baseman by the name of Matt Olson. Uh, Matt Olson, who's notably not uh, Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman will not be an Atlanta Brave when the season starts. And that, that makes me sad. At least... Uh... They got a title before he uh, pissed yeah, off sure. elsewhere. A legend forever in the city. He he came through huge in that World Series and throughout the playoffs. He had yeah, a I mean, that's terrific last couple of years. It's, a, it's the way to go if you have to go. You right. go winning a title for the team that you came up with. But it doesn't change the fact that I am sad like a child 
about the fact that my favorite Brave since Chipper Jones will no longer be on the team. And he's going to go to one of these uh, rich teams, right? The right. Yankees He'll probably the sign with the fucking Dodgers. No, it's the worst thing about baseball. There's so many ways to make it better. Yeah, you want to restrict the labor from ever being able to leave the team that they started with, for yes, example. Yes, in baseball. And you want <laughs> to allow Wasn't players. Was there a court case in baseball that got rid the, of that? The whole the, point <laughs> is to get up there and put the ball in play to just take off down the line without <laughs> having to hilarious. put the ball in play. There's a cost to that, you know? So you have to calculate whether it's worth doing it. I think it's they gonna, should... It's going to not work out most of the time, but every right. once in a while, and it will, it'll be so funny. Right. And then think of the fans. They're like, holy shit, it's happening. Like, I mean, if <laughs> a stupid second base thing can pass and become a thing. We should give some of these good ideas a chance, at least. We're giving them. This is what we're doing. They're also yes. going to make the bases bigger in uh, 2023. Oh, was that a, an issue? Apparently, uh, makes things safer for everybody so that there's more real estate on the base. Remember that time Tim Hudson's foot got stepped on and it broke his ankle in it half? bad. See? Safer. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of other uh, money stuff that they fixed or changed. Why, why five years? You think that they want to kick the can like let's not go through this nonsense for another decade like they can't who among the lawyers and consultants and various people here want a longer contract than five years knowing that their services will be retained again <laughs> in just a few short years lawyers will always land on their feet they'll be fine they don't need to be concocting scenarios anyway what else about uh sports that fucking tom brady's coming back oh your boy's back I'm by fine the way with it. i I try to give him one benefit of doubt, even though you poo-pooed on it, Bob. I said at least, at the very least, what you can say about Tom Brady is that he didn't drag this out for a whole year. You did. And you're like, fuck that. I'm not going to give him that. And right. you were right, it turns out, because he's not doing that. I want to read a quote from the Wall Street Journal article that uh, is headlined, The football-sized clues that Tom Brady was never really retired. Is football size supposed to be large? Yes, is the idea is that we should have not been surprised by this. Uh, the, the first thing I want to point out is that apparently Tom Brady has a podcast. And I was going to turn this into a game, but uh, I'm going to blame it, blame my lack of effort here on, on Daylight Savings Time. So I'm not going to turn it into a game. But the game was going to be Name Tom Brady's Podcast. No tomatoes. TB12. TB. TB12 podcast. Uh, Let's name. fucking go. Pod 12. Right. So I, I was the idea I was going to come up with a list, and, and you were going to have to guess which among these is Tom Brady's podcast. French kiss, your child? No. It's Let's Go! Exclamation oh, mark. Okay. <laughs> so not far off from the Let's Fucking Go. What a, well, what a fucking a dweeb! As well. though Let's Go! is something... Like unique to Tom Brady, as though like like Tom Brady's walking around thinking that he's the let's go guy, as though Tom I Brady see, okay. I invented don't like when I, let's no, go. I don't like what I'm about to do, but I don't I don't think that's what he was doing there. I don't think that he thinks he's the let's no, go I guy. Think he thinks that let's go is something that he says, and that it's something that like that's just what that's a Tom Brady. That's the Tom I Brady says let's go. Do, do you, we should do you call think he was, and ask. Do you think he was peeved by the Let's Go Brandon movement? Like, hey, fuckers, that's mostly mine. 
Yes, perhaps. He said he probably sent a cease and desist to the Let's Go Brandon people. <laughs> By the way, it's it's the podcast, it's a format like with uh how oh, some... I haven't fucking listened to it. Are you out of oh. your goddamn mind? I have no wondering... idea. <laughs> is it like the coaches shows where somebody else right. is doing That's all my, the heavy my lifting? My guess is that he when it's it's called the his podcast, it's actually just got his name on it and there's a couple of goobers right. who he like calls up and talks to and then I they see. call it the tom brady podcast but i don't know okay. i'm not gonna listen to the fucking let's go podcast <laughs> featuring tom brady <laughs> anyway the the point of the article is to say that it was pretty obvious that the bucks didn't think that he was retiring and that he in fact kept saying that you know uh never say never and you know I'm but comfortable he never with said my... never. He came out and said he's retiring. <laughs> right. I'm, he said he would say things like, "I'm comfortable with my decision right now. I'm, I'm, this is how I feel." All that sort of nonsense. So about halfway through the article, quote: By early March, he had blown the door completely wide open. After previously indicating that his decision was about spending more time with his family, he appeared on a radio show and sounded like someone who felt accomplished in that mission. That that mission being spending time with <laughs> his family. <laughs> quote, like enough of this shit. I've done quote, I've done that for the last five weeks, he said, according to the Tampa Bay Times. So Tom ba- Tom Brady did the thing that you always joke about somebody says they're retiring to spend more time with their family, and then they realize after spending some time with their family that that shit fucking sucks. Yeah. And he'd much rather Go back to work. And he said that out loud. He said, I accomplished the goal of spending more time with my family here in the last five weeks. I think hanging out with your family is uh, a journey thing, not a destination thing. It's like, all right. Also, I want to know, as someone who doesn't spend any time with their family, like, what is Tom Brady's day-to-day look like when he's, quote, working? Because... I I picture lots uh, of he's stretching. A, he's, no, he's there at the facility eating tape and doing plyometrics. <laughs> yeah, but like, and then eating more tape from, and then doing more plyometrics from nine to eight at night, or like when he fucking feels like it. No, all day long, four thirty in the morning, rise and grind. Because kids are in school. Yeah, and then he gets home, and there's some open-mouthed kissing with his children, and, Gross. Then, it's, and then it's off to bed. <laughs> I just so, wonder, uh, whatever. He probably I'm couldn't transition. I am he, just jealous. I want to have a fucking billion dollars or whatever the fuck he has. I would like to have money too. I, I, did he? So I, I don't understand this whole two month thing. Like, did he just come out and say he's retiring just to save face for Schefter and those reporters who kind of jumped the gun? Remember there was like a, a few I days? I think that he's, he's an inconsistent person. He probably f- thought he was retired then, and he probably just wants to play football again now. Who knows? It's not even, you know, I did hear some of, uh, you know, never say never. I thought that would be like May, June, as it's kind of getting closer. To, it's barely right. March. Yeah, it's, it's it, Seems like he wants to be there for two a days and shit. Like he yeah. wants to. <laughs> like Michael Strahan he really would like, doesn't. He really doesn't like his family. Abe, I think like, is what we're saying here. I remember Strahan would just like pretend he may retire, like in his last year, just so he, he would avoid the nonsense training camp, eat some of the uh, penalties, just so he can right. play on Sunday. He liked that part, but not the rest. But this Tom Brady guy seems like he doesn't like his family all that much. I mean, yeah. it's March. Come on, buddy. I'm perfectly happy to hate Tom Brady for another season. I'm, 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 I don't I'm even totally care. fine with Tom Brady coming back so I can hate his stupid face for another uh, 18 games. 
totally fine by me. Hopefully, this whole uh, thing uh, doesn't backfire for him. Gets what, but hurt. like he won't. What? How? How? Well, maybe maybe the maybe the Colts can trade for him. <laughs> like how does this possible? How does anything in his life backfire in any direction? Because how could got- it go poorly for Tom Brady? I mean, how he, could he anything led the league. go poorly for Tom Brady? He right probably now? should have won the MVP last year. He, Over he had, Aaron Rodgers, right? He was terrific last year. The way that it could go poorly is that if he doesn't seem like a top ten quarterback anymore, then you could argue that he should have stayed retired. Yeah, but, but I don't think what anyone will think about is that he wasn't that great in his fucking fiftieth year playing. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter. There's right. no downside to any decision he makes for the rest of his life. I mean, all fucking time uh, happens fast. I'm just saying, like he could like get hurt. Either yeah, but then he'll be hit. hurt. He like, can stretch all so he he'll wants. Retire. Right. Like, so he, fucking what? He did all. The, he's not going to improve on his resume playing sure. one more well, Lori, year. Lori will be singing a different tune when he's dead on the field in October. <laughs> That's what you get, you fucker. He's literally just dead. I don't even care anymore. He stuck around so long that I stopped caring. Yeah. Uh, what else can we talk about? Hmm. Hmm. Um, the housing market in Charlottesville comes yeah, to mind. I suppose we can do that. <laughs> you could post the link. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a good Twitter follow. I forget the name of it. There's some Twitter account out there that just tweets out funny Zillow listings or like, you know, absurd Zillow listings. And it's always fun. Is it that guy, that reporter Friday night, he'll do like a, here's this goofy listing from such and such. There's some guy that does that. We watched a YouTube video on Saturday. Strong reporting by us. There might be some guy on Twitter who's (laughs) also a reporter who tweets about Zillow. Yeah, and we watched a YouTube video for 40 minutes on Saturday night about the biggest house for sale and most expensive house for sale like ever. In Los Angeles, in the the Bel Air Hills, there is... Talk about over a hundred million. What, what's uh three hundred million? They listed dollars. it at three hundred million dollars, and it sold for a hundred and something million dollars. So they didn't get anywhere near their asking price. Wow! It was a property that had been developed for like some fucking sultan or something, and then the whole operation went under, and it had to be finished at great expense by some other development company, who then sold to. I forget. It's the CEO of one of these goofy online shopping outfits that it's sold okay. to. Who was it? Some fucking fashion mogul, like mid-level fashion mogul who bought it. Mid-level and he can afford such a house? Anyway, it's called the property is called The One, and Googling like Los Angeles real estate The One will produce these pictures and videos if you're interested in that sort of thing. Uh, anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the obscene... Although... I will say, I'll put the link to the stupid YouTube video in the in the show notes. I do not recommend the channel that produced this video. It's only worth watching because it's... I kind of liked it. I did not like it. It's this guy who's walking around and he's like, and here's, I just don't even have the words anymore. Here's a bathroom with a marble finish and I just don't even have the words. It's like, guy, you are here to have the fucking words. And if you don't yes. have the words, <laughs> somebody else should be doing your right. job. If you right. don't have anything to say, don't say anything. That's fine, right. too. But the cameraman is doing all of the work here. He's showing us this fucking absurd, ostentatious hotel-slash-mall of a so-called private it's residence. It's a really weird house. Right. It's nothing. It, there's nothing about it that says house. It's just there's, like, a fucking nightclub in it. There's... Oh, wow. Like, you walk in, and there's, like, 
you know, like a, the way that a hotel lobby has a bathroom with like six toilets yeah. and a bunch of sinks. Like, there's no house that <laughs> yeah. has that as a thing. Actually, it, it's, that that's a good point. If any bathroom had more than one of the thing to pee in, like that's no longer a house. Like, no longer a house. <laughs> that should he mean? If I put two fucking toilets in my bathroom, I'm no longer having a house. I have something else. I have something in between. <laughs> The upkeep must be terrible, though. Like all of that space. Oh, that's what I was when I was watching it. I was like, they spent. They must. The investment must be over a million dollars just a month in, right. in just keeping everything going. Right. It's like a yacht anyway, on land. I don't want to talk about unachievable, absurd Los Angeles real estate. I'd rather talk about uh, extremely hyper local real estate that's of no interest to anyone except it is me. Also unachievable. We bought our house in. 2017? 16? Wow. Whatever. I don't know when it was. Going well, we on five in years? here in 2016. We bought this house in, in the summer of 2016, I believe. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, because we were here, but only just here. We were here, here when, when for the, the bad thing happened. For the election, yeah. the 2016 election. Okay. And we paid whatever we paid for the house. We don't have to get into the details. This is a house built in the mid-60s. And we got a reasonably good deal on it based on the on the comparison properties, but we didn't get like a crazy good deal. And right. we no, we mostly got lucky, and the sellers were unlucky. Is really what it is. It was yeah, the sellers needed to be done, and we needed a house, and it and it all worked out. But this is not a this is a house that was like fuck you, we're not fixing anything. You can buy it, but we're not going to... Like, whatever you're complaining about, that's going to be your problem. It and, specifically said they will not fix the microwave right. in the a, listing. There's like a rope swing <laughs> hanging off the microwave where a handle is supposed to be in order to... Because the handle had snapped off and the right. asshole had, had stuck a rope in the hole where the handle goes so that he could pull the microwave <laughs> open. And it said, a post-it note on the microwave said... Owners will not fix, which, <laughs> which told me that this was like an ongoing fight that this guy had had with his wife for the last like seven years that they lived here, where he right. was just adamant about like, the microwave still fucking works. I don't care. I'll put a rope on there. No, what he it. was saying was, well, the whole kitchen needs to be redone. So why would I buy why? a new microwave? Right. Right. Which is a fight well, that, I'm familiar with. It's a strong point, actually. That's a, that's a red line for him. Remember back in the day... There'd be like used cars, and it just had like that as is box check. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's basically like what. That. Yeah. So when <laughs> we bought this it. house, it wasn't quite as is. They were willing to do a couple of important things that needed to be done. That like anybody who was so you know radon radon mitigation in the basement needed to be done, and that's like that's almost like a legal requirement at this point, rather than something that's just some picky new buyer is trying to get taken care of. So they did a few things, and then. We didn't try to negotiate very much. It was just like, okay, we'll buy the house at what you're selling it for. Let's move on here. And that was all fine. And, you know, you expect that real estate is going to appreciate, certainly in this country, the way that it's the way that people build generational wealth, as they right. say. So that you buy a piece of property and it gets more valuable over time. And also, crucially, uh, part of the reason that we expect it to appreciate is because we are collectively willing to take on ungodly amounts of debt that we pay off over an extremely long period of time, right? So that if you, for example, if you buy a house for $300,000 and you get a 30-year loan, uh, by the time you're done paying interest 
and all like you ha- you will have paid almost half a million dollars right. for your $300,000 loan. So, in order for that math to all work out, right, you need to expect that because of inflation and just and 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 because of the inherent increase in your in your local property values that at the end of that 30 years, the house will be worth at least that much, right? Right. So there's a certain amount of that built in where you're like, I expect that this house will be worth more at the end, which is why I'm willing to take on all of this debt and pay all of this interest over this very long period of time to make this whole thing work out for me. Right. And, and there's, the, there's the added benefit where it's kind of a known quantity as far as how much you're going to uh, pay. I mean, there are expenses that come up, but it's not like rent where the the increase year to year can be very – Drastic. Like, I think the right. last a couple landlord, years have gone up. And yeah. It depends on your locality, but a landlord has somewhere between a small amount and an infinite amount of ability to change the rent on their tenants, right? So, Meanwhile, dep- my property taxes have raised my mortgage every year, so... Right. And that's one of the downsides of having your property appreciate over years is like, just last year, we saw our property taxes go up by like... 11 uh, on average the assessments went up like 11%. Oh wow. And they and the and they wanted to raise the property tax on top of that. The the city council is debating doing that uh, basically as we speak. Anyway, the point here is that this is a house that we bought that needs a good bit of work to be done to it to make it a modern nice house right like it's a perfectly fine house it's perfectly serviceable house but it needs a kitchen all of the bathrooms need to be redone the hardwood floors are could could be refinished right there's a handful of things that you would do you could spend a bunch of money and make the house better and then presumably sell it for a tidy profit or just live in it because now it's a nice it's a nice new house again now over the last few years the charlottesville real estate market it's kept pace with the rest of the American real estate market, which is to say that it's been fairly fucking insane. Yes. And we ha- we saw in the in the first couple of years after we bought our house, houses in our neighborhood of similar uh, in a similar situation where there there needs to be like the kitchen hasn't been updated since the in 20 years, right? The 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 house looks like our house, right? Those houses were suddenly going for like fifty and sixty and seventy thousand dollars more than we paid for our house, which is for what we paid for our house and not insignificant change uh, in terms of the perceived value of our house. This week, the reason that I'm talking about it now is that the the first house of the season, because the real estate market sort of works in seasons, where there's a lull throughout the fall and the winter. And then spring happens, and all of a sudden, everybody's house goes up for sale, right? Everybody wants to move either in the spring or the summer. And the first house of the season in our neighborhood came on the market. There there are actually two of them. One of them is in the fancy new-build area in the back of our neighborhood where they have these huge, like, three-levels or four-level houses. Very, very nice houses. With a basement, and they're very well-built, and they have, like, all of the fancy shit that you expect to see in a fancy house, right? Really, really nice houses that when we moved in, they were going for like... Like 500 500 550 $600,000. Yeah. This is five years ago? This so? is five years ago. $600,000 for the nice new houses in the back of the neighborhood. Which, considering what we paid for our houses, like, 
that made sense. It made right. sense. It wasn't. Right. It didn't seem crazy. And they're then, just big, nice houses. Yeah. And then last year, it was the first time that we saw one of those those houses sell for eight hundred thousand dollars. Wow! Like, holy sh- holy wow. shit! One of those fancy, nice houses sold for eight hundred thousand dollars. And then the first house of the season comes on the market back there, and it's up for eight hundred ninety-five thousand dollars in the wow. back of our neighborhood. So yes, I want to see the listing. It's a gorgeous house. It has like fucking four thousand or forty-five hundred square feet. It has your covered porches and your your finished basements and and your nicely appointed kitchen and bathrooms. Also, and all we're that. in a really lovely neighborhood. In a great so. neighborhood in a great town, all of that, but. That's $100,000 more than they went for just six months ago, right? Right. So maybe it's optimistic. Who knows what's going to actually happen? But for not, like that, that, what that suggests is that in a couple of years, there will now be million-dollar houses back right. there where just four or five years ago, there were $600,000 houses, right? But what really has blown me away this week. He's this so mad about a it. A long buildup <laughs> to something that nobody fucking cares about. There's a, a house... That they redid the kitchen. It's a perfectly fine house. It's like our house, built in the 60s, needs some updating. It has none of the like fancy upgrades that you expect to see in a really nice house. So this house is on your side of the neighborhood or the uh, other? Yeah, the we're newer. back right. in the normal. So, so back we're back in, in the normal part of the neighborhood, the, the regular family, not the rich family part of the okay. neighborhood. And this is a house that three years ago, you look at the listing – uh, was bought for $300,000. So basically in keeping with the rest of the neighborhood right. about that amount of money. All, all they've done, the only appreciable difference that I can tell between our house and their house is that they have redone the kitchen. So they spent like twenty five or $30,000 updating the they kitchen. They redid it okay. It's not even pretty. Right. Lori thinks it's kind of ugly. To me, it, it just doesn't. just looks like a typical McMansion kitchen. Right. It's just these like wood cabinets, whatever. Right. But it looks nice. It looks like a new kitchen. It looks like a functional right. new kitchen. So yeah, they spent some money there. It's listed for five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Wow! 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 So the so the other thing that has happened is the passage of time, right? I mean, they did a little. It didn't up, upgrade. It's not right? that much time. It's only three years since they bought it. But that's how to kooky from, this real estate market is, right? I mean, just in the last few years, things have kind of. I thought. Like 2017, around the time you guys were buying it, I mean, things were kind of going up relative right. yeah, to how it was were. during the, the aftermath of the recession. And now it's even higher than even right. that. But to give you some idea of how insane that is, there was a house that sold in our neighborhood last summer, right? So now we're, we're only nine months out from the end of last real estate season, basically. That house similarly had been fairly well updated with a finished basement and a new kitchen. That one sold for four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Wow. So in the space of one real estate season, the end of the last season and the start of this one, they've added a hundred thousand dollars to the asking That's price crazy. of what, what amounts to the same fucking house. And I just I think it's completely fucking insane. So what's happening is the West Coast is coming out here because other people at the West Coast are buying all the houses. So you have people who've made way too much money in the right. tech thing yeah. that are buying they're like they're like I will pay whatever you ask for your house there. So all these old people who are sick of the wildfires and the taxes are like 
okay, I'll take your $700,000 for the house that I bought for $200,000 30 years ago, and I will be moving myself to Virginia where I can afford, because I just got this massive payday, whatever I want out there. I will accept that there's a non-zero number of people who are doing that. Well, can I do wonder, who who are these new people coming to Charlottesville? Are they... Doctors, professors, are they retirees? No, they're retirees. Okay, because or work from home people who I can see. live so anywhere, which is a like, lot of people, but right, they so can people, live anywhere, and yeah, they're people you, from the East Coast, right? Because a lot of people from the West Coast, that's not where they're from. From they look, grew right. up. in This New is York, all beside the point. This is all beside the point. In three years, they believe they're going to take a quarter million dollars out of a house. Like they they bought it for three hundred thousand dollars and are expecting to be able to pull out two hundred and fifty thousand dollars after having rented it out for the last three years. So they presumably haven't actually lost any money because they're probably getting like thirty five hundred dollars or four thousand dollars a month. Uh, to rent the place out for the last two or three years because rent is also completely fucking ridiculous in this town. Right. When you turbocharge the housing market in that way, it actually has the uh, the opposite of the effect that you want it to have on the people who are the homeowners, right? Especially for people who are on uh, fixed income, whether they're seniors or they're retired or what have you. Now, all of a sudden, their tax bills are double and triple what they were 10 years ago, and they're not going to be able to afford to stay there. There's something about it that I don't like, which is that this person came in and bought the house as an investment and then rented it out for three years and now expects to be able to pull $250,000 out of it. And by the way, this is a person who rants about uh, the local government uh, doing a poor job of encouraging uh, uh, yells about uh, local zoning laws and that sort of thing. Is this a hypothetical? Is that actually what's happening? No, this is the actual person who okay. complains about local. <laughs> like, she Very complains specific. about. We have a Facebook group. She okay. complains about the local zoning laws on Facebook, but she's about to pull a cool quarter million dollars out of an investment property, and she never even lived in the fucking neighborhood. Whatever. That's at one end of this street, which is the neighborhood end. If you follow that street out of our neighborhood, it dead ends into the football stadium at the at the university, right? right. So if you leave our neighborhood, follow that street where this woman is trying to sell this house for $550,000, follow it to the very end. The last two houses on the right before you get to the football stadium are these dilapidated, like practically falling apart, uh, 70, 60, 70 year old houses that have been rented out as student housing for so long that, in fact, I talked to one of our neighbors today who, in 2001 or 2000, rented a room in one of these houses Ooh, and says that they neighbor? looked exactly the same back then. These are total dumpy, not well maintained college yeah, houses. They, get, they need to be torn down that are new right, stuff built. Will there. ultimately be torn down. That he's been renting out, the guy who owns the place, rent out for, for in, in excess of $3,000 a month because he's able to subdivide it into four bedrooms and he sticks a twin bed in each one and the college kids will pay anything to live right. within literally throwing a, a football across the street into the football stadium if you wanted to. Proximity is important. 
Right. Location matters. They care about being close to class. Let's be honest. Right. And also, it's not real money when you're when yeah, when either it's... your parents are loaded or you have two hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt right. and you're just paying to get your degree anyway. It doesn't fucking matter. You'll you'll pay three thousand dollars a month or or twelve hundred dollars a month for one twin bedroom in in one of these places. That that property, he's combined two houses. It's on a third of an acre or something altogether is going to sell for $1.5 million. And it's wow. it's these two tiny, shitty houses that some developer is going to buy and then knock down and build a 12 or a 16-unit uh, student housing thing there. And on the one hand, you say, that's good. You're taking something that can only provide housing for four people, and you're going to build a 16-bedroom apartment building there, and now you will have expanded the housing supply. And in theory, you will have, by expanding the housing supply, you will have made, you've put less pressure on the rental market so that rents will come down for everyone in the community, right? That's the idea. Part of the problem with that is that it has the immediate, I can't even call it an unintended consequence, but the house right next to it, which maybe previously was only worth $350,000 or something like that. If you've just had your neighbor's place go for 1.5 million, then all of a sudden your assessment is going to change and your tax bill gets drastically different. Right. I don't know what the solution is here because this this is an ongoing and long-time problem here in Charlottesville and also in all sorts of other cities around the country. Isn't there something that could be done with uh on the and this may not be the major factor as to why prices are going up for rentals and for home, it could just be that's where the people are moving to. So it may not just be like these investment firms that are gobbling up property with no intention to actually living in it and to turn it into rental properties and they can charge more, right? So I'm sure that's happening, but I don't know how big of a factor that is. But couldn't they do something about that? Like, if you're going to buy a property in certain neighborhoods, I don't know if a homeowners association could implement this. But basically, like, you have to actually live there. These are not like uh, a thing you can get for Airbnb. A thing you can get to flip it into a rental. Like, aren't there? But nobody wants to live where this 1.5 million dollar property is. Like, that's for students. Right. No, not like, I, that. But I like, don't want to live there. The other example where somebody's literally just buying a property and turning it into rentals and they'll sit on it and then two years later they'll turn a profit, right? right. Like that's kind of like inflating artificially what is otherwise like an expensive kind of home. It's making it even more expensive. And there are – in various places you you will find rules that say that like X amount percent of this neighborhood must be owner-occupied, right? Okay. And like they, they won't allow – any more uh, rental properties in this particular neighborhood because it's already 40% uh, being rented out or something like that. Right. And yeah, there are various things that you can do. You can limit. So let's say that you're on a fixed income and you have a net worth of below X amount of dollars, then you can exempt certain people from property tax increases. You can you can put a, a ceiling on that. And that's all well and good. The biggest thing and the easiest solution that I have for our current problem in Charlottesville is that uh, the university, as most state universities, if not all of them, is tax-exempt. The university does not pay property taxes to the city of Charlottesville for any of the property that it owns, right? And that makes some amount of sense as a land-grant university, like the University of Georgia, as an example, 
one of the reasons that we talked about recently that Clark County was the poorest city in or the poorest county in the state of Georgia is because Athens is owned in large measure by the university and so they cannot generate any property tax income from huge portions of the most important district in that entire county, right? right? So if the bursar's office owns the building right there at the corner of North Campus, and that's a prime piece of real estate, and they don't have to pay property tax right. on it, to say nothing of the fact that the campus dominates the county as it is. Now, in Charlottesville, the university made news just like a couple of months ago because they bought a strip mall on the other side of uh, town from campus. And they, you know, because they come and they have all of this money and they need more office space or they need a, an extension office or something like that. And they buy the thing. And that's all well and good for the developer who's able to sell a piece of property they're trying to unload that maybe, especially in the last couple of years, has had some empty office fronts because of uh, the, the pandemic or what have you. But now that comes off the local tax rolls, too. The university will not, in the future, pay any property taxes on these on any of the things. And if you look at what they've bought in the last decade, it's many, many pieces of property in prime real estate spots across town that they only have to pay, like, minimal fees on. One thing that I read suggested that, you know, it, like they have to pay, like, stormwater drainage fees or something for the amount of sidewalk space that they take up. But it amounts to like three or four percent of the of what should be their property tax bill. I'm surprised that there isn't some like going forward. You can lease new property, and you still have to pay tax like a regular property owner, like some sort of thing. Where like all of the shit you you had going back into the 1800s or late 1700s. Whatever, that's grandfathered in. You don't have to pay anything more. But you can't expand your empire of free shit, right? Right, with your fucking $5 billion endowment right. or your $20 right. billion endowment or whatever the hell it is that your giant endowment is. Right. If you're one of these old school universities, like Harvard's got what, like a $40 billion yeah. endowment or something like that? Something ridiculous. I think that the UVA's endowment is in the low billions, but it's still in the billions. And yeah, they're going out with their giant piles of cash and buying up real estate and only paying 3 or 4% on the dollar when it comes to their local taxes. Now, there are some places that have something called, it's a pilot, a payment in lieu of taxes. And okay. I think that this happens in, I want to say it's Berkeley, but that might just be because I read something about Berkeley today. In, in some places, some universities are, they are effectively making these tax payments, even though they technically are tax exempt, right? They're so, like flat payments, like they'll pay an X amount, but it's not going to be a percentage right. of some sort of valuation or some right. other. It's, it's, it's sort of like the way that you could cut a check to the IRS for extra money if you felt like it. It's that sort of thing where the university, as part of their sort of their civic duty in the community, is willing to fork over the cash that they ought to be paying in property taxes. Right. And that would make a huge difference in a city like Charlottesville, where we've seen our property taxes go up, our, our assessments go up year after year. If according to this, if these houses actually sell and this bubble does not yet burst in three years to, to invest $300,000 in a property and then three years later pull out a quarter million dollars is a huge return on investment. Yes. And it's going to have a major impact on the way that all of the other properties in the neighborhood are valued. Because if this is a person who spent $300,000 and then charged $3,000 a month 
uh, in rent for somebody to live there and then is able to sell it for $550,000, that means that that investment potential exists in every other house in our right. neighborhood. Basically, right, basically it's setting the market. It's almost kind of like with quarterbacks getting $30 million a year and then some schmuck like Matt Ryan gets 35 and then now you have Aaron Rodgers that's getting, what, 50 Like right. it does kind of set the, the market. But it, this is not sustainable, right? I don't think like what happened before with the crash is going to happen, but eventually the rate of growth will cool off, right? It'll stabilize at some point. Except, cool. that the, so, but except that the incentives are wrong for almost everyone involved, right? And that's how these sorts of things happen, which the city is incentivized or the county is incentivized to constantly be raising their estimate for how much a house right. is going to go for. Because they can get more money from... Right. And somebody like me is sitting here thinking, "Shit! Well, holy shit! If yeah. that house went for five hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? And they haven't even done anything to it to meaningfully improve the piece of property, then if we just put a little bit of money into our house, then we could sell for six hundred thousand right. dollars next year. Podcast money. Right. The only yeah. problem is that you're now in search of a another home in this market that's." Where your That's house what is the going suckers for are doing. We're not going anywhere. Right. right. So basically, but I think a lot of people are like, ooh, I can get a piece of this. But then like now you're out of a house. Now you no, have to pay. No, because people, what they do is they're like, oh, let's move to somewhere with land. Right. You know, and then, uh, earlier, and Laura, then they you mentioned. complain about having to drive 45 minutes to work every day. No, thanks. Right. Earlier, you, you mentioned, you know, the West Coast, East Coast people. Like, I, I'm sure this is contributing to it but like now with the remote work being more commonplace like people are like i can work anywhere i'm no longer tethered to like a certain distance from my job oh that's a nice quaint little college town let me move there and then now you're kind of displacing the people who would otherwise get it at three hundred thousand. now that house is worth twice that yeah they're coming from dc too right and so like you have a little more to them, it's like a deal, right? Like they're paying a shit yep. ton in D.C. or New York City or out west. And so for 600000 to them, it's like, oh, great. I get all this square exactly. footage in a nice little place. And so eventually somebody, since the entire country is now opened up to people who are remote workers, why not go to Wyoming or something, right? I mean, They don't want to go to Wyoming. Right. They want to come to Charlottesville. Like. A place that's already established, and There's they already have a coffee here. shop. There's yeah. a Lululemon. Yeah. <laughs> There's a train station. It's like they, they uh, did an episode on, uh, of South Park on this, where all these people from it's like, do you have Wi-Fi? They're moving to South Park because all of the stuff is there already. And yeah, we have Wi-Fi. Right, you have Wi-Fi and all the stuff, but yeah, maybe that's. But but I don't know what explains why Atlanta is so expensive and Nashville and all these other cities. Like college towns, you can see, oh, nice little place. You can kind of right. rest. It's because all of the incentives are designed to make the price of everything keep going up. And anybody who should be objecting to it, like us, is actually incentivized to say, no, that's good. Because right. ultimately, over the course of 30 years, we're going to have paid a fuck ton into this uh, mortgage anyway, and when we're ready to cash out, we want it to be worth that amount of money right. or more. That is, a, yeah, yeah that's we true. can't. We can't go anywhere. We can't. What would even be the point of selling this house and moving to somewhere else? It's a very appealing neighborhood. We get to walk yeah, our kids to school every day. Yeah, and all the rest. But it middle just, school's garbage, apparently. But we'll get there when we get there. It's it's frustrating that. 
people who get the short end of the stick just continue to get the short end of the stick. And I don't know what the solution is for other towns. I like my proposed solution of demanding that the University of Virginia yeah, pay, their, pay their fair share in property taxes. Because if you're going to... And, and yeah, it's great. We've watched a couple of big apartment high-rises go up in close proximity to us in the last couple of years. And that's important for the housing supply in this town, which has apparently been a problem for a very long time, that there's just not enough housing here. But there's got to be some way to offset... If you can rezone residential houses that have a couple of dumpy fucking three-bedroom falling apart houses on them and rezone that for what amounts to commercial use so that you can get more density, you have to... There must be a way to protect the integrity of the neighborhood around there right. so that it doesn't drastically impact the people who've been living there for 30 or 40 years who paid $125,000 for a house back in uh, 1984 or you something. You should tell them instead of podcasting about it. I'm we sure they listen to this. I By don't the know way. who you tell. That's the question I, I would ask you. I didn't invent the idea. I read it somewhere else, right? Did you read it about here? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you should just like that then. Yeah. Just put a well, like there. The the city provides services, right? And those services are paid for somehow. And, like, property owners are footing a lot of the bill for it, and the university is not. Like, I think if you presented it that way, it's like, hey, like, whatever like whatever the services that are being provided, that's what it is. You have to pay that. And somebody right. has to pay it. Why is it all on the homeowners and not yeah. I'm the just, university? I, I read that about the university being exempt from property taxes and it. It made me mad. And yeah, so for some reason, I now. thought, you know, it's just old College buildings. continues to be bullshit. Right. Like, in Athens, like the, the the North Campus, like the older buildings, like, okay, I thought they were grandfathered in, and all the new property, the student, the Tate Center and all that stuff would be different. But if it is like you say, that's kind of fucked up. You're building all yeah. kinds of shit, and you're not paying Well, it's, it. it's one thing to say we got this land grant in 1785 and we'll do what we want on the property that's fine it's the expansion of the right. university yeah, that's what Abe said. throughout town that bums me out well right. but yeah but the student center in Athens was built on old school university yeah, of georgia property right it's when it's when uh, university of georgia goes and buys east campus like 15 yeah, acres campus, on yeah. the east side yeah. and and says this is ours now because we paid for it but we're never going to pay property tax again that's fucked up Anyway, what else can we talk about? We don't have to talk about anything. It's I'm tired because I, I woke gonna... up at fucking who knows what time. Because... Even I don't want to listen to this podcast tomorrow to edit it. So we got to find something. <laughs> no, that. So I'm going to make it easy. If you stop talking talk about. about stuff, then you don't have to listen to us talk about stuff. But that is quite the argument you're making, Bob. Is like ah, it's it going to be a slog to go through. Let's keep talking, <laughs> so I have more to go through. <laughs> We want. We could talk about what we watched. Yeah. Besides a YouTube video about the biggest house, we watched Superman three. Yeah, we had the night to ourselves. With the kids <laughs> spending the night at the grandmother's, so we watched a forty-minute long. We watched nineties commercials. And one of them was an ad. It was 80s commercials. Actually. 80s commercials. And one of them, it wasn't an ad for Superman 3. It was an ad for the Saturday night movie, which was going to be Superman 3. And then Bob was like, yeah, let's watch that. What's... Oh, we could talk about how you're not drinking and how you're running and how. Oh, new man. Uh, that's a thing. Yeah. 
Also, Superman 3 sucks. Yeah, I was going to... so bad. I thought 2 was... Like, 1 and 2 were fine, but like... 2 was fine. 3 and 4 were not particularly good. 4... There's a 4? 4 I loved as a child, and I have adamantly refused to revisit as an adult <laughs> because i know from everything that i remember about it that it, it must be terrible and i love i love gene hackman and gene hackman as lex luthor in the first two uh was was great and i don't want to tarnish my memory of gene hackman by watching superman 4 is that typical because at least maybe it's just on my end if you watch something young and then you have a certain opinion of it positive usually if you watch it again when you're older even though you recognize the flaws your brain is still kind of like reverse i think it depends on how much you watched it okay because like yes like stuff that becomes a part of you there's no way you can see that it's anything but perfect all the criticism watched it a couple times 30 years ago yeah and then did not at all, at all until now. And you don't really remember it. Right. Just don't. It's Just like don't you remember having it. fun watching it, but you don't actually remember yeah. what happened. And you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. What I is disagree this? with Laurie's thesis here on the basis of one movie, which is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> 2, The Secret of the Ooze, which is a movie that I watched enough times as a young person to have memorized almost to the point where I... Still had it memorized when we rewatched yeah. it last year. But wow. how, and, but when was the last time you had seen is it? Terrible. It did not but hold when up. When was the last time you had seen it until last year? I don't know. That's the, that's what I'm saying. Is if you watch it frequently enough. But you watched yeah. it so frequently over a short period of time yeah. growing up that you knew scene for scene, like all the things that were happening. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now the first Turtles movie. I think we've said this many no, times. No, it's still good. First Turtles movie, good. Second one, no good. Third one, uh, I remember. Um, anyway, that's even Superman, what we even Superman one has its flaws, but it still holds up as like a good, a good enough movie. We watched Jurassic Park with the kids. The original yeah, watched, showed the yeah. kids Jurassic Park. It's so good. They liked Great it. Movie. I'd yeah, only it. seen it straight through, maybe once or twice. I've seen it way more than that. I know. Yeah. I but like I'd seen bits and pieces. Like I know the movie. But it's, it's it's like sitting up, down and watching it start to finish. Right. It was when I was in fourth grade. 93 is when that movie came out. Yeah. Calvin watched it. Calvin is nine years old. Calvin watched it basically stiff as a board for about two hours and five minutes. <laughs> just hilarious. In abject terror of whatever was going to happen next. Just at the exact right age to right. completely be at Steven Spielberg's mercy right. the entire time. <laughs> It's so good. Uh, it's a it's great movie. The sh- the goat's gone. Like holy shit, where'd the goat go? The goat's gone. What's gonna happen? Yeah, Lori said I'm running. I I'm on a let's not call it a, a self improvement kick or anything like that because that's an ongoing certainly some kind of kick an ongoing project for what a, uh, inspired this run anyways just like that long time so Get two years ago two and a half years ago we signed two years up ago no we signed up two and a half years ago for the Charlottesville ten miler which was supposed to go off two years ago this month and got pushed back because of the pandemic. And then last year it was an optional non-Charlottesville run. It was like, like a 20 kind minutes of from here, which the appeal of the Charlottesville 10-miler for me is that it's like a three-minute drive from the house. 
Oh, nice. It gets very close. So last year, they were like, we're going to do it, but we want to do it out in the country where we have more space. Okay. And like, fuck that. I'm right. not waking up right. to right. drive So you were allowed to, to defer two years ago, and then you could defer again last year, and now you had to shit or get off the pot, I think, this year. Because basically, they're, it's back to all the way normal, right? They're not, yep. It's right. in the same location as in the past. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Totally normal. The the Charlottesville ten miler, and it's something that we decided to do two and a half years ago. And I was training for it and and ready to go. And in fact, on race day or the day after, maybe I actually did a ten mile run around the city, and that was all well and good. But yeah, you know, I didn't get a medal. He didn't get the fucking t shirt oh, and all no, of that. Not a medal. And so we signed up only like a couple months ago that I got back into a running routine. And because we got a rowing machine last year and I've been using that as my daily exercise and running is way harder on the body, especially when you're like a go hard and you just try so hard now that we're like old, especially I I think it always was hard on the body, but you could your body could take it when you were younger. I don't think it was ever like good for your body. Yeah. The other thing that I'm doing now in this rendition is. I, I've quit drinking for the last. When was Andrew here? Was February like twenty fourth through the twenty seventh or something yeah. like that. So yeah, basically just for March, I haven't been drinking. I haven't had a sip. fifteen days I haven't since had a the sip uh, Russian of invasion of Ukraine. Basically, that's right. So I don't know how deeply personal we need to get here. I wouldn't say that I'm an alcoholic. I. <laughs> oh, I've okay. known Where is it I've going? known too many I've known too many alcoholics to wear that badge, right? right. Like uh but but I am an addict in important Bob has ways. no self-control no, at all. Which is a, it's an absurd thing to say. I have tremendous amounts of self-control. If you if you only knew the depth of my uh my constant yearnings and desires you wouldn't you would appreciate the extent to which i'm able to hold back my my appetites know no bounds therefore i must have truly herculean self-control that should be your uh, your first book never mind all your other nonsense great restraint the bob howard story just that's right all of these temptations that you're like no not today not today satan uh Anyway, anybody who starts talking about their relationship with alcohol or something like that, oh, that person's an alcoholic, right? Like that that's what that's what's going on here. But that's the like so one thing that bothers me about that is that you should be able to have a conversation about your alcohol consumption without feeling like you're just rationalizing your alcoholism. I right? can do that. Sure. So you should be able to have a conversation about alcohol consumption without feeling like you're rationalizing it but it does right, but feel like that doesn't it like and sometimes I, people... I don't feel like i have a problem with that at all yeah but you are also the sort of person who like smoked cigarettes through your 20s and like were never was never addicted to cigarettes right are you saying i'm a superior sort of person right what, what i'm saying <laughs> is that for whatever reason there are some people who smoke cigarettes and never become addicted to them there are uh, there's some statistic about as as much of a disaster as we are in this country with the opioid ec- epidemic or something, it only has a capture rate of like one and a half percent or something like that. Like the overwhelming, overwhelming majority of people who take opioids 
never get addicted, right? The problem is that the people who do... Wait, so those uh, brochures were accurate? It was only like in the 1% to 2% that had... Uh... Yeah, it's a very it's a very small percentage. I mean, the... But for like those small ten, percentage, it's a big problem, right? So right. Like, Tens of millions of people are prescribed these drugs all like every fucking week, right? And right. so it can't be the case that like if like a lot of people take one oxy and then it makes them nauseous and they're like, Ugh, yeah, throw that I, away. That's true. Some of I think some people I know, maybe my sibling, somebody described it that way, where they took a pill and it made them like nauseous. Yeah, and like the same right. and, thing. And, and, I mean, it's the same thing with heroin. Like most people who take heroin don't do heroin again because it's only a small percentage of people who take heroin and get that euphoric feeling and are like, oh, I got to get that again or right. else I'm never going – It's like life isn't worth living. And I assume that we're, we're not there yet, yet as people where there's like a test that tells you you're one of those people versus like a regular – Oh, we probably are, but that would go under preventative care, so okay. we don't do that. Okay. Yeah, because- I – also, no, I don't think that you can I'm walk sure to the doctor's there office is a way and get a printout of out. your fucking genome right. that says, yes, if only <laughs> we cared about people in this country, we would know to not prescribe you anything more serious than an right. Advil. Whatever. <laughs> but, I mean, you would be needing to run that test on everybody to catch the 1% or 2 or 3% of the people right. what's the problem. For most people, it's like, oh, yeah, you'll be fine. Anyway, the, the point here is that in this... If it sounds awkward to talk about it, it's because it feels awkward to talk about. But what I've noticed about now, and yeah, I used to, so cigarettes is the best example for me because I, I smoked cigarettes throughout my 20s. And then in, I think it was Thanksgiving 2008 that I decided I was done smoking cigarettes, roughly November 2008, because I hadn't yet moved in to the Whitehall house where we lived with my brother. So I know that I'd quit smoking by then. But did you, by the way, did you have. Uh, false starts in your quitting, uh, with or was it like fuck it? I'm no, done. No, I and used you're to done. joke. I used to joke all the time that quitting is easy. I quit all the time, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I didn't ever actually really try to quit and fail to quit. I, okay. When I quit, I quit and I was done. But that's not to say that like I wasn't addicted because I absolutely was. It's, Are you on the other side of it now? I mean, not that you would start up again, but you you don't have any like. Your brain's like, oh boy, I used to miss the uh, all the habits of like. I don't have any chemical cravings for nicotine. I don't have any desire to any any real biochemical desire to smoke a cigarette. But I frequently think about having a cigarette. Yeah, I would. Even I would so still... many years later, it's still kind of like on the psychological. Yeah, because side. the thing that appeals to me about smoking cigarettes still appeals to me. That's never going to go away. I've decided that the trade-offs are not anywhere near worth I see. it. Okay. That I don't want to have fucking lung cancer or emphysema and i want to be able to exercise for 45 minutes or an hour and a half at a clip and and still feel good i was complaining about my run i did 12 miles this weekend and big number and well the truth of the matter is i ran like eight miles and then i sort of ran jogged a further two miles and then i dragged myself the final Two miles after that. Twelve miles. But we're only mile, running but... ten in two weeks. Yeah, your strategy is very uh, unconventional. People ramp up. No, to... I disagree. People do that. You can look People up... overdo it, and I don't know why. You look I think up it's these... so not fun. Most All of the training plans that, that I looked up, it said run past your goal, right? oh, no. and then and like... then your race <laughs> won't be as terrible. When I did the half marathon oh, a couple no. times, 
I think the most I did on a 13.1 thing was 10 miles. I'm like, ah, yeah. you can get to 10, you can get to 13. It's, it's the same I shit. I agree. Abe and I train the same way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Save well, it for the race. You know, you don't want to like. Uh, yeah. Like to me, that's the fun part. The, the fun part is like, now I've done that. Right. We're like and, already two weeks ago, you ran 12 miles. Who cares about running 10? Yeah. You want it to be like so like old hat that like you can enjoy your 10 miles. Is that uh thinking like yeah i want it to not be miserable and so what i do is all you have to do is not try just do enjoy yourself i want to do so my training regimen i have like three or four different loops that i run in our little city here i have a three mile loop i have a four mile loop i have a five mile loop a six mile loop and a seven mile loop i could have just said i have four different five different (laughs) loops no very important that you spell Uh it out but I've been running the seven mile loop frequently because it is the hardest loop. Like it's the first three miles are all uphill. It, it's like a thousand foot climb over a three mile course, including in the, the last part of the third mile is like straight up to about the highest point that you can get around here on foot. Anyway, it's a deeply unpleasant run and I've been doing that. And I foolishly thought, Here's what I'll do. I'll combine my seven-mile track with my five-mile track and just do the two loops back-to-back. They connect. Psychologically, I do the seven-mile track, which is the hardest thing that I do, and that'll be out of the way. And the five miles will be easy, breezy, nothing to worry about, right? Right. Because it's relatively flat, and that is not the case. It's nowhere nowhere around here is flat. Psychologically, does not matter at all when you're old and fat and your knee doesn't want to work anymore because you've run 10 miles already. What are you thinking, you idiot? Right. I mean, th- those last few miles will be easier to do at the beginning, but you- you've already right. put in seven <laughs> miles of <laughs> other I mean, running. I like to do the hard part first. Like When I have my runs, I make sure that it ends with a downhill. Yes. Like I yeah. always like I have a run that I do. I have I have ways to add on to it, but no matter what, right. it's gonna end at me going down a hill right. because I'm no, done. Yeah, no matter how sucky the running is, at least it ends on a good note. Like you're, you're on a down. Yeah, I'm obsessed with negative splits too. That's all I care about. But yeah, like whatever. Like I'm fine. I, my training regimen aside, like I think that I'm I will be prepared and I will be able to do this 10 mile race, and I will. You know, as long as I poop beforehand, as long as I get the get the poo out first thing in the morning before we line up for the race. Pooping. Yeah, because that's the worst thing is you start out on one of these runs and you haven't pooped properly that right. day, and you're like three miles away from home, and you got to take a dump. It's like very bad I news. Just pooped the night before. Come on. <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway, when I started training for this a few months ago, like I wasn't thinking about cutting alcohol out of the routine by any means. But then I decided as February was ending and I had been on like, you know, because I'd been to visit my brother in Colorado and I drank too much there. And I don't At mean high like, altitude. Right. I don't mean that like I drank too much that I was sick. It's just like I drank more than I would than I should have. Right. And then Andrew came to visit. And so we drank a few days in a row there. And like if I had if I could choose. And I know that I can, so it's a weird hypothetical to set up. But, like, in my ideal world, I would like to be able to have a glass of whiskey every night uh, after the kids go to bed or whatever. Like, that's just, like, a nightcap type situation. 
and then go to bed and then feel totally fine in the morning. Right. But what I've noticed is that when I'm doing that, if I'm having a nightcap, I don't feel 100% great in the morning the way that I did if I hadn't had a drink for two or three nights in a row. Also, right? when you have a nightcap, it's usually a massive drink followed by another massive drink. Okay. <laughs> First of all, that's not true. I, th th that's the other thing about this conversation is that I want to be able to have the conversation in reality. So do I. But any time that you try to have the conversation, you start talking about the Friday night or the Saturday night. I'm not talking about Friday night or Saturday night where, yes, I have two big drinks on a Friday night or a Saturday night and I get drunk. I'm just I'm talking about having a pour of whiskey into a glass and drinking that before you know, at, at nine o'clock at night. And then like, you know, like a person does. Right. But I don't feel 100 percent myself the right. next day. Not that I'm hungover. Yeah. It's, not that it's I not was like, even. Yeah. It's not like the Friday night, Saturday night thing. But it there is a, a cost, a small cost every morning. Right. It's just a small cost. And maybe does my psychology play into it? It probably does. Right. So like even if it even if it's just a beer, I feel bad about myself for having had the beer right. as though it's something that I need when I know I don't need it. And on top of that, it's 150 fucking calories that I right. just poured down my gullet that I didn't even have to chew. Right. Right. So it's, it's like sugar. It, right. It's sugar and it's not good for the body. And I feel it the next day, whether I whether it's my brain saying, oh, you got to drag your sloppy ass out of bed at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning and you're mad about that and you want to blame it on the drink that you had the night before. Who knows? It, it, I 100% can – you could call it a psychosomatic thing where I'm, I'm convincing myself that I don't feel as good as I otherwise should and I'm blaming it on the alcohol or something like that, right? You're not getting fewer hours of sleep because you had that one drink, are you? It's not like – no, that. you you do, your sleep quality does diminish okay. with right. alcohol. But but apparently drinking alcohol does degrade your sleep quality. And I've certainly noticed that on weekends where if I have a couple of drinks and you get noticeably drunk and then go to sleep, you don't sleep as well and you wake up feeling tired and vaguely hungover. But this is not something that's like a concern for me. Like there's none of none of the markers of addiction where it's like impinging on your life in a way, right? Where it's it's stopping you from experiencing right. – it's taking away from other important things in your life. None of that. Isn't that the textbook definition or the hallmarks of an alcoholic where it has a negative – like you're showing no, up No, because to work then there's the functional or... alcoholic. I'm not saying that's what you are. I'm just right. saying it's not it's – not, you don't have to necessarily – that's why they say a functional alcoholic. That's right, except thing. that yeah, like, in, yeah. if you look at the literal textbook definition in the DSM-4 or 5 or whatever number we're on now, and, and any of the literature on addiction, it does usually include mention sure. of the fact that it has to have a, a deranging effect on other aspects of your and life. And I suspect right? that the those who are functional alcoholics, that's a rare breed. I don't think most people could... I think it's way less rare than you think. It's also a fucking euphemism, right? Right. So, because <laughs> the func functional alcoholism means that they're not actually a functional human being. It's not actually working for them, and but they can kind of they get... are destroying their liver, right? right? But outside appearances, they make their appointments, they meet their niece for whatever, and so like to the other people, they're making their commitments. They're they're not. Yeah, they just always have a glass of wine, right? So my level of alcoholism is on the same level that I think of myself as having an eating disorder, right? right? Which is that I don't actually have an eating disorder. I don't actually have alcoholism. But I do have like these sort of 
deeply embedded psychological reactions to food and booze in a way that I don't think that the normal person usually thinks about, right? Maybe not alcohol, because not everybody drinks alcohol, but like, I would imagine a lot of people have weird relationships with food. I think that that's fair. I think about meals in the same way that I think about having a drink, which is that oftentimes afterwards I feel like, oh, why did why did I eat that instead of eating this? Why am I... Like, I don't know. I have this, I have a weird relationship with food in much the same way that I think that I have a weird relationship with alcohol. I don't think that it is an entirely unhealthy relationship, right? but it, it does feel sort of burdensome is the wrong word, but my, the, my thinking about alcohol feels burdensome in a way that I didn't want to have to deal with anymore. Right. Right. So not to say that I'm going to quit drinking. I've just, in the, in the lead up to this race, I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to drink until the race is over. I'll probably have a drink that night, certainly, and I'll bet you it'll make me super drunk when I finally do. I will have There's beer after the race. They like give you beer. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I don't drink it because I don't want to have a headache later. It it makes training a lot easier when you don't drink. Like you don't, you think it's just the calories here and there, but it, it seems like it. No, it's, it's sugar. Yeah, it's it's a net negative. This whole when you're training, if you're just you know living life, have at it. I don't want to problematize my relationship with alcohol in such a way that I think that it's some sort of a failure when I do have a drink, right? So I don't want to go down that route. But I also, like, there's also, there's, there's something weird about the culture. It's awful. That, like, the alcohol drinking culture in this country is completely fucking insane. That's what I've been saying. Yeah, sure. I've never denied that. Yes, I, I, you, um, you sort of at it whenever I say something. Yeah, because there's part of me that thinks that like there's an inherent goodness to getting to the end of a stressful day and having a way uh, a relatively harmless way to blow off that steam by yeah, sitting that's down a goodness to that it shouldn't be the norm and the like implied norm like after fucking georgia won the national championship and the whoever from espn was like all right kirby what you drinking yeah. it's like slow down like stop like st- the way that everything is the wine shirts and beer o'clock and the breweries popping up everywhere it's like a real problem that everyone's just drinking all the time and that it's weird cuz like it, it, didn't we talk about this last time like more than half of the country did not drink at all it's like it's like a it's not yeah. like everybody's drinking but the few that are or the 40% that are are drinking all of look at us with continuity yeah i, I just what I also don't want to do is like turn my life into where I'm not drinking during the week, but I'm really looking forward to getting that to cracking the bottle of booze open on Friday or Saturday night. Right. Like that's where you start developing a very strange relationship with the thing. Well, you know, and that that's where I am. Although I, I guess I don't think about it too much. I've always just well, I don't like doing things during the week. Like I eat the same foods. I do this drink the same amount of coffee. Like. Monday through Thursday or Sunday through Thursday. And then Friday, Saturday is just whatever, right? Yeah. But, like, I'm not like, oh, I can't wait until Friday right now. It's Monday night because I just had a lot of booze over the weekend, right? So, like, it's like it almost works perfectly. It's like five days of just normal and then two days. And, again, I don't really drink that much anymore. But, like, you know, if you wanted to, you could. Um 
And right. so, like, do you think there's anything wrong with that? Like, where you're like, oh, you're setting it up to where, like, it's my pride for the end of the week? I just don't. I don't like the idea that I am spending my week looking forward to this thing that ultimately is just a, a way to blow off steam, right. right? Like, it's not – I don't know. This conversation isn't going anywhere because there's nothing to really talk about. But it's just – it's weird to me that the only way that we can talk about consuming alcohol is either – completely aproblematically yeah. right which is that this is just a fun thing socially that we all do all the time uh, and that it's totally fine or it has to be about total abstinence right yeah. and that there's there's not a lot of ways to have the conversation about it that isn't one of those two things that either you have a problematic relationship with alcohol and it needs to be eliminated from your life in order for your life to be complete or or to be functional in some important way or you're just a totally normal person you can have a glass of wine every night and be totally fine with yourself. Right. But I there- feel like that you just made up a, a binary that isn't there. Yeah, I don't know. I, but maybe it's the case that people are out there all the time talking about how they don't want to drink as much as they do. But, oh, also, I don't have a problem with alcohol. But I've never heard anyone have that conversation. Right. Uh, but it seems – I don't know. I, I think, like, I guess you can – drink to excess just like how you can eat to excess and gain weight like if it's not a a problem if you kind of fit it in where it fits in naturally like if you guys are hanging out at home or you're going somewhere or some friends or family visit and on those occasions you drink but you don't drink all the other times then that seems to be like a i don't know if i should say healthy balance but it's like a balance it's not an issue like if it's like you're craving it at all times and you're showing great restraint 80% of the time that you're not drinking and then you're drinking the the remaining 20% to excess, maybe that's a problem because it's not sustainable to show that kind of restraint, unless you're Bob, of course. But like most people, eventually they'll give in (laughs) if they're constantly like showing restraint on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday because something can go wrong that day. You woke up the wrong way and you're like, fuck it, I'll just drink. Yeah, and I think that like not being sober 100% of the time is – it's like a human good. It's to, it's to, Altered it's to, state. Right. Yeah. It, it's important to lose your sobriety every once in a while. Uh, and I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like, I think that that's, that's one of those things that matters to people. The Pope has never lost his, uh, you know, look at him. He's doing all right. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, if it was, if it was an ent- entirely sort of cost-free analysis, I don't think that it would be an issue i think that i would be perfectly happy to have a nightcap every night but but at the same time like i don't know i don't know that psychologically that would be the healthiest way to go Yeah, because that's not losing your sobriety at all if you have one drink every night like that's just right it's just it just becomes that's just what you do routinized basically it just becomes a routine yeah you can do that with anything you can do it with the stupid seltzer Mm, water you can do it with with soda, you can do it with getting yourself a, a cookie every night at nine o'clock, like whatever it is. Actually, that's uh, yeah. In my, on my end, I think I may have I may have to revisit my soda consumption because it seems like I'm constantly buying soda, ooh. which was not the case in the past. Like that I'm sucks. always getting a stupid that's ginger hard. ale. That's hard to kick. And sometimes so I run good. out of it, and I get like slightly upset. I have to settle for like <laughs> the sprite or whatever else they have. One of I don't even know how many months ago it was, but we drank a little too much on a Friday or a Saturday. And I was texting Julia 
I said, I had like one drink too many last night. And she said, one drink too many is the fun zone. And she is exactly right. Like it was worth it. We had fun. And I wasn't miserable the next day. I was just a little tired the next day. And once a month or so. Yeah. I am happy to pay the price for the fun zone. Four drinks too many is no longer the fun zone. It's not worth it. You're not having a good time. You feel like garbage the next day. Yeah. But there's, and it's different for everyone, the amount, but like the idea being a little bit too much once in a while is good. The, the, The difficult thing, and I notice this only happens to me when we go on a trip, is the back to back to back, like... Yeah. If you're at oh, home the and days you drink, and days of it. Yeah. Cause like, I can't do that. Like when I was flying back from Vegas, I was like, I not only do I need to stop. It feels uh, awful. Gambling. It yeah. feels like you're poisoned. It's a lot. Like three days Even in a row. Even if you don't get drunk. Yeah. Exactly. Even if it's not one drink too many it's for many days. Even effect. if it's for me, one drink. If like for me, you say one drink a night. For me, that would be way too much. I would feel awful in like two days. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. But everybody's different. Multiple nights of drinking is like the last, like I need to figure that out. But the weekend occasional drinking, I haven't had an issue with it yet. No, one drink too many is the fun zone. Exactly it. Part of it is that I come from a long line of uh, addictive and addicted people. Uh, Not in my immediate hierarchy here, not in the immediate genealogy, but generations before. And... I'm sure that I have inherited from various parties my over-analytical takes on my own alcohol consumption. And that's probably part of the reason that I need to not do it as much is because no matter what I say about or or, no matter what the reality is of whether or not I'm uh, dependent or not dependent or, or whatever, the fact is that it consumes too much of my own personal fucking psychological bandwidth when I'm drinking more than I believe that I should be, whatever that, whatever that is in any given time period. Uh, and also it, yeah, I fucking feel better when I'm not drinking every night and until this race, I won't, I won't drink again. Uh, that's one more weekend. So the, the race is next weekend. Not this weekend. Okay. It's, uh, the oh, weekend after. A week this from one. Saturday. Okay. Is the, so it will have been near, not quite four weeks, which I was thinking about it. I must have been 19 years old no, the last time you, I went a month without we didn't drinking drink anything. that much. We used to not drink that much. We would drink a fuck ton of Diet Coke. Yeah, I'm not saying that I drank a lot, but, but never like a once a week. Where you would, go, I don't think yeah. that Maybe I ever a beer. Yeah, I don't think that yeah. I ever went a month. So you never did like dry months, like dry January or whatever. Could I? Used no, to... I've never done that. That sounds fucking terrible. Yeah, I. <laughs> the first few years, I would like, oh, you know, it's like the holidays and into New Year's. It's like I'll just fucking take January off, and then after all, I got fuck that, and so here I am now. But yeah, for for yeah. for many years, I would like just not in January. Yeah, no, it's weird. I don't think that I it's it's been probably 20 years since I went a month without having at least a beer at some point. And I don't know what else that like there's nothing else that that really compares to. I went like, 9 months twice. Sure. No real fun way to end this conversation, I suppose. That was fun. Yeah. Good night. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. You can find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Head over to brainiron.com. Opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. 
I very soberly watched a couple of Oscar nominated films and very and very segmented in this past week. Any good ones? Yeah, so I fi- I finished no Nightmare Alley, which was perfectly good. I watched that in I think three chunks. So I'm not getting the full cinematic experience of sitting down and watching a movie from start <laughs> to finish. Because I'm doing schoolwork after the kids go to bed, and he plays a little bit of video games and then turns on a movie. Yeah, so, so I watched like a movie for chunks. an hour at a time or something like that in chunks. Nightmare Alley was good, it I got would say. a little silly at the end, you don't think? It was uh, fine. From what I remember, how like, oh, pretend that you're this guy's daughter or wife or what was that goofy scene at the end yeah where bradley cooper's wife like the mara girl right the from the family one of the rooney sisters has to pretend that she's the dead lady (laughs) terrible plan by the way for for the billionaire yeah that was a bad plan yeah yeah i would have i mean i would have preferred for uh, old Guillermo to lean into the more his more fantastical instincts, yes, and have something actually happen there with with the uh, from beyond show up, yeah, just to sort of give an interesting twist to the end of the movie. He's he's perfectly willing to get super fucking weird in his movies. He's the one that uh, made I, the movie where, where the woman uh, had sex with the the fish, right? Yeah, the the fish guy, and then also he did uh, Labyrinth. Hellboy. Oh, and big fan Fans of Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Yeah, that was good. Uh, that was that was good. I certainly, I would say, I liked it. I enjoyed the movie more than I enjoyed Power of the Dog. If we're ranking Oscar contenders here, I also watched, and this only took me two chunks—a a thirty minute chunk and then a two hour chunk. I watched Dune finally, which I've been oh, meaning to watch, nice. and. That one is also nominated for Best Picture this year. It was year. loud. It will not win it is Best very Picture. Loud. Yeah. But it was better than either of those other two movies that I was just talking about. And the movie was like they were just setting it up for the next movie. Yeah, it's and a I wasn't it's disappointed. Just half of yeah. the of the Frank Herbert novel. It's not even one entire of his like four or five books that he wrote. But that was good. I I thought the performances were all fucking fantastic. You got the most out of all of those actors, uh, some of whom don't necessarily have the most amount of range. Like, you know, Jason Momoa is not a fucking terrific actor. but <laughs> He didn't he, have many was, scenes. Right. He was exactly right in this movie. Uh, I think Chalamet is well suited for this role. And... Oscar I especially, Isaac. yeah, Oscar Isaac was very Lots good. Lots of range for the ladies in this movie. Josh Brolin was also as very good. As long as you like dark hair. Yeah. But yeah, and all the all the women, none of whose names I know besides the Zendaya, Zendaya character, is, she was fine too. I've been watching uh, her show, Euphoria? The Teenager Sex Show. Yes. Is that show good? It seems like it's very depressing. A lot of drugs it's and stuff. Good. Okay. It's good. They're Abe, there is so much penis. Oh, that's the other thing I heard. There's a lot of uh Holy schlong. shit. Yeah. Way too much penis. Okay. But aside from the penis, it's very good. Sold. Uh, anyway, back to Dune. Dennis Villanueva has directed some really great movies in the last few years, including Dune, which I would say as a as a half-finished product is is still good. Uh, but we'll see what happens with it uh, when they make the sequel. He also did the Total Recall, not Total Recall, uh, uh, Blade Runner Blade. 2049, which was of, of similar scope. Like the yeah, his, his ability to make 
giant CGI landscapes actually feel like they're big physical places. Yeah. I don't know what it is exactly that he's doing, but the scale of things makes more sense in his movies than they do in any of the other goofy superhero movies that are supposed to be of similar scale. I wonder um, if it's – he has like a cinematographer that he has for all these movies. Aren't they more responsible for that whole thing than the director? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I guess uh, Arrival was the other his first oh, big studio too. movie, oh, yeah. uh, and that was another good one. So he does these these sort of heady sci-fi movies, and he does them very well. I will tell you, I wasn't watching Dune. I was just on, and I was in the room. No fucking clue what happened in that movie. Like the other two, I can kind of get it. Dune, just also no I, fucking I you, clue. You said that it was loud, and then it was loud. It was loud, but. Like the sound was fucking fantastic. It's, the I sound say design it was bad. is great. It's just very loud. It is loud, but also in the same way that one of the main things I took out of uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine was the sound design. Well, we similar, saw it in that theater, right? Similar reaction here. Even though we're just watching it at home, it still sounds fucking fantastic. When, uh, when I watch these movies, I don't know if it was Dune or some other movie that I've seen in Dolby. I think like. I'm probably going to lose my hearing in my 60s, but this is worth no, it because like it is it's all inside. So loud. Yeah, it's not like being at a at a shitty rock show no, in some bar good. where they just have the the PA cranked way too loud. And this is this is well balanced. designed, professionally balanced sound design. That uh, Dolby uh, theater that I'm in, it's like right on you. It's like you can hear Ava, are you going to watch Euphoria? I mean, I am now. I mean, I think I saw one episode. I was like, it's oh man, it's pretty Gross. good. I don't know what it is, but like anything with like drug stuff is like, oh man, it's she's a drug addict. It's <laughs> it's really so. I'm watching it on the treadmill, yeah. which tells you that it's fast paced. Okay, because I can't watch like really solid TV on the treadmill. This is by far the best thing I've watched on the treadmill. I see. Because it's still a treadmill show. By the way, that's actually show. a good point. There are certain shows that lend themselves to th- that yes. activity. Like you can't watch certain yes. shows that way. I couldn't watch Mrs. Maisel on the treadmill. Right. It was too slow. Are you? You're all caught up. How many seasons have they uh, cranked out? Oh of this? no, I'm only like four or five episodes in. There's Into... only two seasons. Oh, this okay, okay. I'm all, yeah. I just started. Okay, it's really good. Right, I'll watch it. Yeah. yeah, I'm not watching it. Bob Lord's... can't watch it because um, there's too many penises. I don't. I mean, that's what Laurie is saying. I, I've made no such proclamation. He can't watch. It's too much teenage drama. He can't. He'll hate it. It's some of that drama that can't find their pants. Like, why is there so much long in this? <laughs> no. They know exactly where their pants are. Okay. Uh, Not to give anything away. What about you? You go, uh, So see any, see any the, movies this week? Uh, n- no movies. Uh, I think next week things will pick up. Um, but... On the TV front, I know this is going to be a recurring thing. Every six months, I'm going to make this point, uh, but it, it, it bears repeating. Survivor needs to add the theme on their Paramount app. I'm not asking them to do that for their broadcast. I understand they have. <laughs> You're going to have to explain this take because, Abe, I've known you for a long time. Yes. <laughs> and one of the first things that I knew about you as a. You would be a closing driver yes. with our friend Jim Robichaux. Yeah, that's right. And there's not a lot to talk about with, with Jim Robichaux, who at the time was – he was probably our age now, but – Actually, yeah, you're right. That's, I never thought that's about really that. Fucking, <laughs> that's really fucking depressing to think about <laughs> because he seemed to be 
just generations older than us right. at the time. Just <laughs> he a, had a, a man of a whole different world. A jet ski or something? He he would find reasons to talk, right? Because he was very uh, sure. He talked ceaselessly. Yes. A lot uh, of all the social cues uh, that I've used to say that I got this delivery to actually get to would not work. It would be like, nope. We're still talking. The classic thing with talking to Jim at the end of the night, who was a lovely man oh, yeah, who great. taught me the, pro- the proper way to sweep and mop a floor, uh, you know, the proper, true proper way to close down a pizza restaurant. Jim Robichaud was there to hold my hand and let me know how to do that. And I, I, I thank him for it to this day. But leaving Jim Robichaud at the end of the night involved slowly lowering yourself into the car <laughs> And cl- slowly closing the door as you're still having the conversation with Jim and starting the car and backing up yeah. out of your parking spot. And you're still having the conversation with Jim. And hopefully by the time you're half a mile down the road, he realizes that he's no longer having the conversation with you. It is remarkable. I don't think I've ever experienced that since because like it's like what more does another person need to see that – that this conversation is has reached its end, not because of whatever. It's like I actually have to leave, right? But the right. conversation would just <laughs> continue. No, because it's it's six fucking thirty in the morning, and there's nothing more to say right now about like the public salad options right. or whatever the fuck it is that you're going on about at the moment. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, one of the things uh, we talked about. One of the things that Jim liked to talk about, especially when you were around, yes. was the l- latest uh, survivor intrigue. Yes. Because you were both at the time still somehow watching Survivor. And lo, these many years later, <laughs> Abe, you're still watching Survivor and having takes <laughs> on Survivor. So explain okay. how the Survivor opening credits work. For those of us who stopped watching Survivor in like April or May, yeah, when of did the first season end? Two thousand one, right? Yeah, I think then. is the last time that I By watched. The way, Survivor. That was the last time I watched Survivor as the, well. The funny thing is that I have never actually watched the, those first like two seasons. I just picked up like I never thought to go back. Uh, I know who won and whatever, but like I would just go forward. Anyways, I like themes of. Basically anything, you know, like the CBS Sports when they do the NFL or the college football. I just like big. You're a big theme guy. Yes, yes. You have to open with something like, "What am I doing? Why am I watching?" And the music kind of helps, right? But with Survivor, there was an added element of each year. This is the 42nd season. You know, they do twice a year. Yeah. There's 16, 18, sometimes even 20 contestants. I'm not good uh-huh. with names. And this one They mi- say their names. Yeah. They show their names. One minute of fully support what you yeah, say. Yeah, this is this tribe and this these are the people, ba 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 ba. This other tribe, these are the people. And but then as- there's an added plot part, right? Which is that because someone is eliminated yeah. every week, somebody comes off the credits, yeah. right? Each week, there's a little more breathing room because, you know, the first episode's like, all these mother, all these yeah. people, right? And then, like four weeks in, there are f- four fewer players that are mentioned, so, and now you can focus on those people. And each yeah. subsequent episode, there's one less player. So I would know who these people are at the start yeah. of each episode, and they got rid of it because Jeff Probst wants whatever the fuck he wants, an additional commercial, or now he sometimes will open the show, like, "Hey guys, 
they don't know this. We're implementing this new stupid gimmick and explaining nonsense. I don't know who these people are. Like, this show just started. I don't so, know their names. do you think, because so, this well, happened... Well, I just want to make clear here. You, Survivor is, Superfan... A legitimate gripe, Abe. by the way. <laughs> Survivor Superfan Abe. Ah, what's that stretch? <laughs> 40, 40 seasons <laughs> under his belt. Cannot be bothered to pay enough attention to this show that he loves so that when you get to the next week... You don't even right. know who the fuck any of these people are without a 60-second right. recap first at of the all, top. That's what you're telling me. That's how much attention all, you're paying. I have grown to become dependent on this thing that they provided for all these seasons, right? So that's why would thing. I try to come up with another way to know the yeah. names? They had a very good system, a perfect system. And again, so I the have answer a question. here is that, they're so, that what they expect is that anybody who fucking no, cares no, is watching – is is like is following the fucking Reddit threads about this stupid no. show okay. and is deeply invested. Is there yeah. a theme song in the yeah, it's opening like, yeah, credits? And it's, Could there be a licensing disagreement when it comes to the theme song being used on oh, Paramount? Oh, so this is whatever. their own theme. They, they're not – Right. It's not like yeah. it's not like CeeLo does the opening <laughs> okay, credits for Survivor that's what and then they can't get that's it. That's what happened with Dawson's oh, Creek yeah, on right, Netflix. Yeah. The the opening so, says, yeah, this is, do, 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 do. Right. They this couldn't is license use that. to them and sometimes they'll use snippets of it for like bumper like when they're transitioning from one scene to another. All right, I you should, should write again. a letter or look on look on Wikipedia for the season the people. It is the, that's true. Yeah, it's all Jeff Prostrol. But but what I'm saying is, I'm not. Why even, are you putting this on old probes? This can't it be his. It has to be him because he's come up with <laughs> other stupid fucking gimmicks that don't make sense. Like Survivor, if you get eliminated, you're eliminated. What's with this second opportunity? And uh, that's besides Why do you the point. Think that's him. This is all probes. He's he, just yeah, a it guy. It has to be probes. He's he's been there the whole time. Again, not for their broadcast. I understand. Add your additional whatever for. But on the Paramount app that my cell phone provider gave this me for free for a year, I can't even watch it there. I, there are some fans on YouTube that have concocted whatever, but no, I'm not going to stoop to that. I'm going to wait until they, CBS and Survivor, implemented for Paramount. Gotcha. So to be clear, this complaint is that you, <laughs> as a, a paying customer of the Paramount Plus app... I'm not paying, but I'm benefiting from a free... ...are demanding year. a different product than they put out on broadcast television. No, the recognizing same product that the financial pressures. Right. right, right. But So there are financial pressures to where they need... They can't just give away that 60 seconds worth of prime time real estate to a stupid recap of what's happened before. They need to get right back to the show and also the commercials. They do have... I should be noted, plenty of time to do background stories on them as if it's some other reality show, right? They never had that. So they have time. They're making decisions here. Poor yeah. choices. Anyways, that's what I watched. It is the year of our Lord, 2022, <laughs> and you are still watching Survivor. Setting that aside, a very solid two-hour premiere for season 42. It looks promising. Not an acceptable series of words to come out of your mouth. It's not okay. I know somebody else, a fa an old Facebook buddy, used to play cards with, 
who still watches fucking Big Brother and still gets hyped and posts about it on Facebook. Like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. We're still watching Big Brother here, which I don't think I ever watched more than like 40 minutes of. And and it also has like 60 goddamn seasons all hosted by like... Lisa Lang or Connie Chung. They have like puzzles and stuff on Survivor. Who is it? That's the. I just did a racism. Yeah, yeah. Who's the Who's the host? I'm not also going to do a racist thing, so I'm not going to say anything. Come on, name the Asian lady (laughs) who hosts Big Brother. (laughs) Who's neither Connie Chung nor Lisa Lang, or Lucy Liu. Isn't she married to uh, Les Moonves? Is she that one? I don't know why I know that, but not her name. But who hosts Big Brother? Julie Chen Moonbase, yes, married to. <laughs> I know who Moonbase is married to. Moonbase is a is a big dick, right? He's a, he was a CBS head oncho, right? I, I don't, oh, is he one of those? Was he like doing something I think untoward? He was pretty sure he's problematic. Okay. Anyway, I still haven't signed up for the Alamo monthly plan because the only thing that's worth watching right now is the Batman, and. I do want to go see the Batman. I'm very excited to see the Batman. It's three fucking hours long. It is three hours long. long. The other problem is that I'm trying to find the $20 in my monthly budget to to make it make sense. That podcast money. I have a, a a convenient fact is that six months ago and a week, six months and a week ago, I suspended home delivery of the New York Times. I tried to cancel home delivery of the New York Times, and go to their digital-only subscription. Yeah. And the the person on the other end was like, no, 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 don't do that. I was like, uh, but I want to. And they're like, no, 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 don't do that. Just suspend it for six months, and it won't cost you anything for six months. I said, what do you mean it won't cost me anything? It's like, literally, we just stopped charging you. You still have complete digital no access kidding. for the next six uh-huh. months, and you don't get a paper on Sundays. I was like, okay fine i'll save the 40 dollars a month and and still get digital access this is exactly what i wanted except i don't have to pay for it right fast forward six months and one week later and this sunday sitting out on the sidewalk is our uh, new york times sunday paper and now i'm getting charged 40 dollars a month again so maybe that's what i can do right is i say that the savings is in the fact that i am going to (laughs) Once again, I know what you could do. Stop home delivery of you the New York Times. You could get a fucking job. Ah, uh, jobs. You could this. You could look, deliver the I'm paper a, a, and get it for free. I'm an alcoholic you in could some. Deliver papers. I'm an alcoholic in some form of recovery right now. You could get right a paper now. route, that so funny. and that would pay for Four your movies. Four-year-old <laughs> First of all, how dare you? Demean the good you work that is done. You think you're too good to, for a paper route? By hardworking people. There's no no longer is it a paper boy driving a a bicycle around town with a basket on the front, who's who's tossing them to Maybe old ladies. Maybe if you become a paper boy, baseball will go back to normal. Yeah. yeah. Man, speaking of which, I didn't mention earlier the same day that Freddie Freeman. It's it's shown that Freddie Freeman will no longer be a brave. I get an email from MLB.tv saying. Uh, congratulations, the baseball season is back, and we're going to charge your credit card $129 for this year's package. You could get a job. This is not the day, right. MLB.tv, <laughs> to be telling me about how you're about to charge me $130 for the goddamn baseball season, and my favorite player is not a brave anymore. I would rather cry. Thank you. 
Anyway, you uh, you got anything else for us tonight, Abe? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. We will talk to you next time. Later. This sucks. Keep going. They'll be fine. They don't need to be concocting scenarios. But remember when the DMV used to suck because they had it every four years you had to go and get your new license? And they, at least in Georgia, they got it to five or ten years. Nobody complains about the DMV. The DMV still sucks. You just don't have to go as much. It's such an infrequent suck I have to go. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yeah, Lori's got a license expiring this year. I'm going to get one of those uh, real IDs. Oh, that's right. How how does Virginia work? Is it five years or t- what's the frequency? You I have don't to- know. We were okay. on a we were on a five year plan, uh, and then it doesn't make sense because we've lived here for seven years. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. So maybe seven year plan. I don't maybe know. But like, it was on a seven year thing. I don't know. <laughs> but it spread it out, and and there's no problems. I'm sure you'll have a but wonderful time. My favorite time. DMV experiences have all been at the DMV in Athens. Oh, yeah? There was never anybody there. And it was in like a shack. I felt like I was really in Georgia. (laughs) Stupid conversation. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of the stupid conversation. I don't think I I don't think I'm legally in jeopardy for saying this, but when I first got my driver's license, um, I my vision was already going south, right? And so the vision test was a, a difficult thing, and I and I knew that, um, that there was a podunk DMV in like Rockdale County, like in Conyers, yeah. and they only had like four or five different like, hey, what are these letters? So I would like stand over the thing as the lady's taking care of somebody else, and I memorized each one. Oh line. my god! That's nice. And then I would squint to find the first letter and got the rest. And see, and look this at me is- now. The same guy who drove around on a suspended license for like a year, didn't you? Something like that? For six months, I was ignorant of it. The other six months, I have no <laughs> excuse. Uh, to say nothing of the, of the home mortgage you defaulted on <laughs> when you were like 17 or something. That's right. Boy, was it easy to get home back in the day. Think a we're long better history in that of respect. criminality here. <laughs> anyway, what else about... Uh, sports that fucking Tom Brady's coming back. It's good. It's good. There, Abe, there is so much penis. Oh, that's the other thing I heard. There's a lot of uh, schlong. Holy shit. There is so much penis. Okay. Sold. <laughs> this sucks. Keep going. Yeah, but... It's such an infrequent suck now.